Good evening. It is 6:33 and you are live and you're listening to us on Global Digest with myself, uh, Laban Wanambisi, my co-hosts um Irene um, Wangi. Today I didn't uh, today I wasn't nasty. <laughs> tried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course the man behind the mix. Uh-huh. Yeah, please. please. It's yeah. so nice to be here, but again, <laughs> <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, today we are going to be touching on a few topics. Um, first and foremost will be the National Dialogue Committee, which held a meeting today, and we are just going to look at whether it is another attempt at um, reawakening the BBI project, and we are also going to be looking at the the petition by a Kenyan on the issue of uh, on whether Kenya should be banning TikTok or not and also we'll be looking at Saudi Arabia and its um its growing muscle on the football and sports fraternity today we are really going to have fun so shall we start the show the perspective a good perspective to start <laughs> okay and um, so our first topic will be on nothing, uh, none other than the National Dialogue Committee, where we are asking, is it another BBI or is it a waste of time? And to set the stage, the one, the one clip that might probably capture that moment is this one. When the former Prime Minister, Right Honorable Raila Odinga and I shook hands on March 8th of 2018, it was because we saw a crack on the wall of our nation. We had run two elections that costed the country in excess of one trillion shillings. Therefore, again, I will continue to say that we need to come together and mend the crack on the wall of our nation. And this, I believe, is what necessitated the First Amendment to our Constitution. And although it encountered some legal obstacles, I say again today that BBI is just a dream deferred. One day, someday, it will happen. Irene, mm-hmm. is, that, is it that day? Um, looking into how the discussion is panning out and the agendas that have been raised, especially by the Kenya Kwanza, with the issue looking into IBC, the CDF, the Prime Minister's office, the opposition office, and the issue of um, the general, they all touch on um, constitutional matters. And as such, then the discussion then would arrive into an opportunity of changing the constitution and that's why the discussion concerning the bbi comes into into play in that in the bbi one um some of the proposals that kenya Kwanza is having right now are what was envisaged in the bbi talks and that's why now it's it, it's seeming to be a bbi two only that this time the the team that criticized the bbi one is the team that is now bringing bbi two to the fore so Looking into how they will agree into their agendas, given that currently the meeting they had today, um, they said that the technical committee will have will submit a report um, on Friday on the issues to be discussed. Then now we can see um, the formation of a BBI too. If at all, um, those issues that um, Kenya Kwanza is is putting into onto the table are the issues that will be. Um, encompassed in the report by by the technical technical team. Mm-hmm. So. That is so far as the BBI discussion is coming um, into the fore. If at all, we'll be looking into issue the issues of um, constitutional changes, given that there are issues really 
touch um, on the constitution. Mm. Okay, you've touched on the issue on the side of Kenya Kwanza. We've seen what their issues are. We've see, we've always talked about what Azimio want and what Kenya Kwanza want. Mm -hmm. But um, last week we saw something very odd in that there was a, there was a group of MPs from the marginalized communities mm -hmm. who showed up at Bomas and they wanted to make a presentation that among other things mm -hmm. stated we want uh, the number of counties to be increased from 47 to 56 i think that that kind of um, negates or contradicts the reason why some people went to the streets um even for I, if you ask the former prime minister he will be like uh, extend um, what you call it bringing the number of of um, constituents uh, counties is not one of them how does how does um, oh, let me reframe that do you think the fact that this committee the national dialogue committee does not have a terms of reference will be another way to for people to just sneak in new conversations I think um, given that they had not agreed from the onset on, on, on the issues to discuss, given that the other team of the bipartisan talks that included the um, uh, the lawmakers, that is uh, members of parliament and also um, um, the senators, had not agreed on the issues to discuss, this um, new team, the National Dialogue Committee, mm -hmm. will find itself with uh, a lot of um, recommendations on the issues that, that they should discuss which I think will move to forestall the talks. It, uh, will are they able to? Uh, will Kalonzo Musyoka and Ishungwa um, be able to actually say from the onset we are talking about this and this only? Because it seems like they went in with uh, with checks that had a figure, and now they have both um, more or less rubbed the rubbed off the figures, mm -hmm. and now they are they 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 are purporting to have blank checks. I think for us to have sanity of these talks between the two opposing sides is to have the issues that were on the table when the team was being formed are the issues that should um, be discussed by the technical committee such that the proposals that are being uh, brought into into play by um, the TIT member of parliament um, to have us increase the number of counties should mm -hmm. not be part of the discussions because what Kenya Kwanza is bringing on the table and what Azimio um, Lomoja is bringing on the table are issues that have been discussed by the principles of, the, of both coalition, that is uh, President William Bruto and also um, Azimio Lomoja leader Raila Odinga. Mm -hmm. So for us to have other issues being um, uh, brought to the fore, which are not the issues that brought the political crisis that led to demonstrations, Therefore, it, it, it beats the essence of the of the discussions and will also um, for, for Sol, um the discussions by the two teams, given that they have a, a timeline of 60 days. Mm -hmm. So I think the technical committee uh, uh, by both teams should focus on the issues that were on the table when the two teams were being formed. And uh, from where I sit, I think the only thing that might bring... Um, an issue that might derail the talks is the issue of cost of living, which again um, has... When, yeah, but when you talk about um, having uh, 46, uh, no, 56 different um, new new counties, mm -hmm. that affects the conversation of cost of living yes. because 
you you are then increasing the number of counties that is then the number of governors mm-hmm. number of county women reps number mm-hmm. of senators mm-hmm. and also the backroom staff that come with it so that is public wage bill which which again uh, beats um, the logic of us as having uh, the discussion on cost of living mm-hmm. And given that um, from the very onset, after the August 9th election, there's Mila Moja coalition which uh, have um, staged demonstration to the point of precipitating um, the National Dialogue Committee being formed and, you, of course, slated to have talks to iron out the statement between the two opposing sides. The issue of increasing counties was not a, a primary issue or an issue that if it's not agreed by the National Dialogue Committee, then the country is being plunged into a political crisis. I think the da- Technical Committee should look into the issues that you know are bringing a stalemate between the two opposing sides to the extent that it will affect um, the social integration and the peace um, in the country. So I think from where I sit, having sideshows of other issues being brought to the table that are not the primary cause of um, the stalemate between the two sides, then it's derailing the efforts of the talk. We should just focus on what is bringing um, an issue between the two, opposing, the, the two opposing sides. I think it's telling also, when you look at the motion that um, the, the, the minority and majority leaders presented in the National Assembly, it was very telling that it didn't um, stick to the eight issues that both sides had. Sa- they actually just left it open, mm-hmm. harmonizing, la la la, and just moved on. Mm-hmm. But that's your issue and the fact that we don't really know what they're going to be talking about mm-hmm. brings in this context of what, um, for instance, uh, Kiharu MP Ndindi Nyoro said yesterday mm-hmm. and um, the former UDA chair said yesterday mm-hmm. where they were telling uh, the president to just forget about this issue. He was elected. He has a mandate. And this whole process is a waste of time. In fact, Ndindinyoro was just blunt. He said the the first uh, the first call of action today when the team meets mm-hmm. should to be disband the talks. Exactly. I think now is it a waste of time, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a waste of time, but I think the goodwill that has been professed by um, the majority leader in the National Assembly, Kimani Shungo, as well as the Zimio principal, Kalonzo Musioka is not um, quite genuine, especially if you hear um, the rhetorics by leaders from Kenya Kwanzaa, because during the meetings, they profess goodwill and they, they say we will, will, will ensure that we iron out um, the, the political crisis in the country. Mm-hmm. But when they retreat to their political um, bases, they, they polarize the country th- through the derogatory remarks, which therefore raises the question of whether these talks will... Um, lead to a consensus between the two sides or will it end um, in the same situation with the bipartisan team that had members um, from the National Assembly and the Senate. And you know, the end of it all is that if there is no goodwill uh, between um, the two sides, that in, then it means we are going back to demonstrations. Because if you've heard what um, Odinga has been saying uh, for the last few days, is that um, they will be they'll still be having um, countrywide meetings, sort of town hall meetings, um, sort of to say that we have a plan B. Should this not work, we are going back to the people, which has been um, the um, message by Odinga that we have um, the will of the people and therefore we'll move with it. So the bad side of this is that if at all there is no goodwill and if at all the rhetorics by Kenya Kwanzaa leaders is anything to go by, 
then it means it's it's a futile exercise. It might be actually a waste of time. Do you foresee? Do you foresee something in the in the in the context or something in the context of a BBI or a constitutional amendment? The president mentioned a, a very damning figure: uh, one one trillion shillings has been lost had been lost between in the electioneering period in 2013 and in 2018 because of the squabbles in this electioneering period we don't really know what happened how much has been lost mm-hmm. but do you feel cuz i in my opinion i feel this is the last time that we will have a standoff of this nature because i don't really foresee any other politician having the the political muscle to force a um, to, to force a, a conversation of this nature um, are you trying to say that if um, Odinga is out of the political scene, that we might not see the gusto that is there in the in the political arena? Actually, my view is with Odinga out of the scene, I actually foresee the the um, what do you call it the people who will be participating in our elections. That number might drop drastically because there are some people like um, the former vice president once put it, Kijano Amalwa. He said there is Rilamania and Rilaphobia. So there are usually people who turn up to vote for Ryla and there are people who turn up to vote against Ryla. So he is actually a variable mm-hmm. in, in in our election. So remove him and there is no there, there is no motivation. Yeah, it, it might it might be true depending on where you want to see it. Um if there is no other revolution that <coughs> might, you know, emerge um from the youth that we, we have in the country. But uh, on what you said, the, the troubles that are bedeviling the nation do not emanate from a uh, flawed constitution. Rather, this is an issue of um, the failure from you know successive regimes to fully respect and implement the 2010 constitution. Because no amount of rushed amendment will reduce um, the political tension or the issue of cost of living that you know we are having here in the country. And that is to say... Looking into um, how the formation of the 2010 constitution came into place, it was an initial of the Yash Palgai review process, which appeared to be an inclusive and a people-driven. But what we are seeing right now is as a result of a political class, you know, happening to um, change the constitution or looking into having changes in the constitution because there's a political tension in the country, which now beats um, the logic because it's, it's all uh, in a political sort of state vis-a-vis the issue of a people driven to work for the benefit of the people. And when the political class um, takes over such initiatives, it does not work to um, the benefit of the common monarchy. Are we looking at, if we, if we go back, to when the Supreme Court, the Court of Appeal, and even the High Court um, uh, nullified or um, declared the BBI uh, unconstitutional, one of the things that they pointed out was the president is not allowed to to, to initiate a constitutional amendment. In this case, would you, would you find it worth the argument to say that we might fall in the same pitfall that the president has initiated a constitutional amendment through this um, National Dialogue Committee? Uh, we, we are not seeing um, a direct hand by President William Bruto as we saw 
um, a direct hand by you know the former president um, Uhuru Kenyatta, who you know used to um, reiter- uh, reiterate that the move for changes in the constitution, giving g- saying that the constitution should not be rigid uh, per se. But now we are having um, two uh, political sides agitating for this particular change. So we they might be faulted from the point of it was not from a common monainche. But given that they're looking into both houses, that is the National Assembly and the Senate, to, to pass the motion to, uh, to ensure that um, the discussions have a legal backing, mm-hmm. if now it comes from a parliamentary-driven process yeah. to end up um, uh, into a referendum through passing it to the people, therefore um, it might have you know some sort of a, a legal backing. But the, the threshold that a common monainchi must you know initiate the process is where now they might find themselves in the trouble. Given that this appears to be an initiative by the political class, it's not people driven; it's the political class uh, driven, and that will be now the mistake. That the 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 two teams might find themselves in. Okay, thank you, thank you, Irene. Um, just to remind you that you can um, reach us, you can tweet us on at Capital FM Kenya um, using the hashtag Global Digest, and you can also drop us a WhatsApp message on zero seven one zero nine eight four nine eight four. We take our first break. Capital FM. Good evening and welcome back to Global Digest with myself, Labanon Ambisi, um, Irene Mwangi and Blaze, the man behind the mix. Um, the next topic that we are handling is in regards to something that a Kenyan, a Kenyan CEO thought that it was very important that he actually uh, took a petition to parliament and asked for parliamentarians to consider banning um tiktok now if you are a millennial or if you are a gen z this is life and death to you and i could tell that by the the day i went around the office asking the same question and people were almost ready to run to parliament and tell them don't do it irene Mm -hmm. how does this affect you how does it affect a kenyan I think, um, given the reports that have been um, published so far, the Reuters Institute of Digital Report has said that Kenya is leading globally in terms of the usage of the TikTok app at 54%. Mm. It therefore goes to show that um, the number of Kenyans who have acclimatized to this particular app are so many. Mm-hmm. Um, and how the youth or how Kenyans use this app is quite different. There are some who are using it for entertainment. There are some who are using it for employment, um, the social media influencers, and there are some who have gotten into it as a business venture. That is, people in the small and medium enterprises to advertise their businesses. So depending on how you see it, it it, it shows that there is an array of, 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 uh, of, of groups or individuals who have vested interest in this particular app such that if somebody is coming up with a with a with a with a petition to have it banned totally, it therefore um, raises the uproar or the reactions that we are seeing um, by Kenyans concerning it. I know the petitioner is said that is is saying that um, the app is addictive in nature. Yes, 
that it declines academic performance and the issue that it is uh, bringing a, a rise in uh, mental issues that is um, depression uh, depression and anxiety mm-hmm. but also don't forget sexual immorality hate speech vulgar <laughs> language <laughs> i yeah. don't i don't want to get into that <laughs> <laughs> but um looking into the issues that he's raising it 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 raises the question of what are some of the regulations that we should put in place to um regulate this particular app Okay. Him, um, him if going I could to just mm-hmm. so that we can get also a Gen Z's mm-hmm. perspective before you get to the the legal way of handling it. Okay. Let's get also uh, Blaze, who yes. is in the Gen Z category. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a, a Twitter account. I know Irene has already told us that yeah. she has a Twitter account and she's Twitter TikTok. A TikTok, yeah. sorry, a TikTok <laughs> account, sorry, a TikTok account, and she's she's quite active. Yeah. Um, on the, you you want to share your? Yes. Personally, definitely, I'm part of that uh, generation that's uh, more adapt to TikTok and everything that's like within it mm-hmm. uh judging by the fact that I have an uh, I have an account mm-hmm. and actively posting on it yeah. um it's like you've said it it sends a big shockwave among people uh, around my age and the fact that every single time when there's a conversation about social media and everything it's always jumping to the f- the one thing that you've mentioned mm-hmm. about sexual uh sexual immorality, immorality hate and, speech uh, vulgar language exactly and declining uh school performances but that has been the case with almost each and every social media platform mm-hmm. because if you if you look at um it's almost similar would have uh, something similar would have happened with Instagram while it was uh coming up and hitting its peak Facebook the same mm-hmm. uh Twitter the same so i think Personally, banning it doesn't necessarily solve the issues, and it's jumping the gun way too early. I'll tell you the honest truth. Mm-hmm. Um, from the the words that I've heard um, about TikTok, I'd actually agree with this guy. Apart from the fact that I also know there are some people who make money out of it, like yes. it's a it's 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 a way that they get um they they, yes they earn a living. Mm-hmm. But as a Gen Z, do you really so? if banning it is not the way mm-hmm. so for you the thing is how would you how would you address this concerns definitely has before you get to banning there has to be some sort of regulations um regarding how and what goes on to the platform by Kenyans but now that has to involve TikTok the company itself mm-hmm. and the stakeholders which are not really sure how um adept our government is into getting um into getting into contact with TikTok and everything and setting up those preventive measures that they are talking about and like you're saying it's a source of revenue for someone like me it's mm. a creative outlet because no other um no other uh, platform supports necessarily supports uh, short form uh, videos as much as TikTok does maybe Instagram does YouTubers tried starting it with YouTube shorts but the reach that TikTok has it's simply it's it's immeasurable it's you can't compare it with the others mm-hmm. irene um i looked i looked up how many countries have actually in some way means and form mm-hmm. banned the use of tiktok okay. yes and as of wednesday it was 23 today morning i found out somalia yeah yeah actually yeah. joined the list mm-hmm. bringing it to 25 if kenya decides to take the the hard route will be will be 25 um will be 
uh, because of Somalia. Okay. Now, one of the things that I found out, for instance, in the U.S. and in other countries, they looked at in banning um, TikTok was the fact that they claimed that it was um, addictive. Mm-hmm. It brought about so, uh, a source of misinformation. There were concerns about child safety. There were concerns on mental health. Uh, there were concerns about selling data, which is one of the things that even our petitioner has looked into, uh, selling data to data brokers. And also there's the issue of data security. How do you deal with that? When I looked into um, Ndolo's uh, petition, uh, from the aspects that he was arguing his petition was, a, was an issue of morality. Mm-hmm. When you look into a, major of the, uh, a majority of the... 20, 24 countries so far? Yeah, 24. A majority of the 24 countries so far that have decided to ban um, TikTok, is, it's a security-based issue. When it's a security-based issue, which now um, raises, an, uh, raises an alarm, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue that can affect a country to a very a great extent, then we can talk about the issue of banning the app. But when you look into Ndolo's petition, uh, much of what has been uh, the merits of that petition is the issue of morality. When it's an issue of morality, then it's not an issue of totally banning the, the, the app. It's an issue of putting in place um, regulations to uh, monitor the app in terms of which age group can get into this particular app in terms of which content can be uploaded in this particular app. If we, we are to be guided by that petition, then it's it's not an issue of burning the app in totality. It's an issue of now looking into um, how can we put in place um, regulations to ensure that people who are th- uh, who are in this particular app are, are protected. So as a country, it's it's not an issue of uh, just following wha- what other states have been doing. I know TikTok appeared to be a China-US um, sort of fight yeah. uh, and, and Europe uh, being uh, also um, in that particular war. But as a country, we should look at the pros and cons of this particular app and look into if there's an issue of, say, the sexual content that is being uploaded in this particular app, is the, if there's an issue of vulgar language, an issue of hate speech, to what extent um, is this... A particular agenda being propagated in this particular app, so it's it's up um, to us as a country to to weigh those issues before we, you know, do um, what I would call a knee-jerk reaction due to what other countries are doing and due to what um, people are saying um, concerning that particular app. It's not it's not it should not be an emotive issue. It sh- it should be an issue of looking into what is this app bringing into the country and what are the effects that um, uh, might be um, in the country if um, the app continues to be used by um, the different groups that are interested in the app. Okay, we're going to take a a short break and when we come back, we'll look at the challenges that some of the members of parliament might be be facing in in trying to um, look into this uh, petition. Um, welcome to Global Digest with myself, Laban Wanambisi, Irene Mwangi, and of course, Blaze. 
Um, so one of the things that I looked up, Irene, when I was doing research on on uh, on the issue of TikTok, is that one. The funniest thing is this: TikTok has more than uh, 150 million users in the U.S. alone, mm-hmm. and worldwide, it has more than one billion active users like um i know there are some there are some social media pages that i'm on that i've never even bothered to to go back to so when someone decided to put the word active there to qualify that the irons and blazes of this world are actually loading stuff on this page every every single day it's it's quite telling so when i was listening to the conversation to the contributions that members of parliament were making the one problem or the one thing that I, I i was i was hearing from them was they were going to face a challenge that will alienate them from the young users who are their political minds um so you if you look for instance at kenya kwanza most of the people who vote for voted for them are actually the young the young people the youth um if you actually went down the demographic you'd find the the first time users to around 35 were in the biggest cluster yeah so the the conversation then becomes how how will they walk this tightrope to ensure that they don't they don't um end up harming the very voters that they would like to keep I think given that um a majority of the young people resonate with um uh, the social media platforms in this case TikTok being an example of them and looking into uh, the Finance Act 2023 mm-hmm. it had an input in terms of having the 5% withholding tax um on um the usage of um, digital uh, platforms so uh, for the social media influencers in terms of employment Therefore, if we are, we, we are looking into the demo- demographics, and that's why I was saying that as a country, it should not be a knee-jerk reaction. It's, it's about us looking into the pros and cons. I think it's, it's about um, uh, considering the aspect that a ban on TikTok will impact the digital economy and in the innovation in Kenya, mm-hmm. especially at a time where um, the digital space is 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 growing quite fast in terms of having more and more people um joining that particular platforms um to have um employment opportunities we should look into the case example in in Nigeria where we had um the SARS, the NSARS protest now the government um of Nigeria moved to ban twitter for a period of seven months because they said that Twitter was now happening to be a platform to ignite um, the electorate there to uh, have the protest that widely affected the country. Mm-hmm. Now, in in those seven months that um, the, the, the Twitter app was, um, was shut down by the government, um, the Chamber of Commerce, the Lagos Chamber of Commerce did um, a study on the impact of the shutdown on Twitter and they said that it affected um, Nigeria's economy to the loss of um, 26.1 billion US dollars. You, you can underestimate the impact of how uh, a, a social media platform mm. you know, can affect a country, but we have to accept that 
when these apps were coming into into place, they they appeared to be a tool of communication. But over time, um, they have grown to be um, a tool of economic growth. Mm -hmm. Therefore, it's not an issue of an app being a source of entertainment. The the economic um, growth that has been um, developed over years in some of these apps have a ripple effect in the economy. Therefore, for, for that particular petitioner to raise an issue of morality, there are also other issues that should be considered, if at all, a shutdown of um, um, Twitter Twitter accounts in um, Nigeria can lead to a loss of 26.1 billion US dollars. Seven mm-hmm. months, and Nigeria is one of the you know strongest economy you have in Africa. Mm-hmm. So, looking into those perspectives, therefore, the petition should not be looked from an emotive point of view, and an issue of morality. Um, a morality issue usually. So, who 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 addresses the morality issue? The petition. The, the petitioner is, what he's raising in that petition mm-hmm. is, is more of a mora- morality issue mm-hmm. that, than any other thing. And therefore, if morality is the issue here, then it's an issue of regulating um, that particular app. Because we cannot, um, you know, um, look into these issues from one aspect of view. I, in as much as it's causing uh, an erosion of our morality, mm-hmm. at the same time, it's increasing... Um, it's it's causing an increase in in economic growth in terms of um, creating <coughs> job opportunities. Okay. Therefore, it's an issue that should be looked into from a wide aspect, um, so to speak. Yes, something. we've seen throughout history. We've seen what um, stifling, for lack of a better word, um, any form of media can do to a country. Um, from back in the day, newspapers or stifling radios or deciding what can be said on radio and what cannot be said on radio, what can be shared on social media platforms and what cannot be shared on social media platforms. We've we've seen how, throughout history, we've seen how that has gone. And uh, with social media and TikTok uh, in particular, you remember this time when uh, the demonstrations are going on, mm-hmm. like early, uh, mid this year. There are a number of videos that we were seeing uh, from like regular people on like what's happening on the streets and everything. Once you cut out that uh, platform like that, already you're stifling that so, sort of citizen journalism. Uh, so, uh, jour- citizen journalism. Mm. That's another aspect that they have to consider before like jumping the gun and burning it. And I can't help but think there has to be something. It feels a bit sinister. Like it's it's like they're hiding behind the morality issue. Well, in real sense, this like these are deeper. Be behind it. Mm. Okay. It might be so, <laughs> okay. So one of the things that I didn't disclose is some of this. Mem- some of our member members of parliament actually have TikTok accounts, active TikTok accounts, mm-hmm. and they have followers. So in this case, there will be something closer to a conflict of interest, but. Like Irene says, maybe we go the regulation, the regulatory way, other than banning um, or throwing throwing the baby out with the bathwater, yes. as the, <laughs> the, the statement usually goes. And now we move on to another conversation where someone doesn't want to ban something, but now he wants to allow. Um, we are talking about Homer Bay Member of Parliament, Peter Kaluma, who has proposed a bill to allow uh, people who have been convicted of graft to be able to run for public office. 
now <laughs> when I, I i i was editing the story and i was reading it through in my mind i the one question that came to my mind is have kenyans given up or has this member of parliament given up on the leadership and integrity act there's a thing that goes uh, laban mm. <laughs> <laughs> if if it ain't broke don't fix it what is not broke if something is not broke no in this case what's not broke what's not broken <laughs> <laughs> for 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 the member parla- from the Homa Bay town uh, member parliament to to come up and say that if uh, somebody has served um the sentence then they should not have um the penalty in the in the act to stay from office for 10 years mm-hmm. he he is not curing any lacuna in the law in terms of this particular group okay um looking into the issue of corruption and how it has been a menace that we have failed to um to deal with in in each and every regime there has been challenges each each and every time we are having f- we are moving from one scandal to the next and in majority in a majority of these scandals they remain unriddled mm-hmm. therefore we cannot then erode the penalties that we put in place in the law to ensure that um we fight graft in the country so from where i was looking at um Kaluma's petition it's not uh, a law that set to um help the war against graft it's like um he was siding with the victim all right sort of to say that if a vic- if if um a, a, if a criminal has served the sentence then the extra penalty should not be in place because where I, w- I, w- I was seeing um um the the regulation in terms of having um the guilty the convicted person um staying out of office for 10 years mm-hmm. is to it was like an added penalty therefore for kaluma to <coughs> bring a law to remove that particular penalty mm-hmm. is like eroding the efforts that you know we have made in terms of um uh, fighting graft in the country especially in a country whereby scandals since the Grand, uh, Grand Regency scandal in in. You actually have to go back <laughs> way back. Huh? Anyway. Uh, we can even go back to the. <laughs> <laughs> You'd actually go back all the way to the colonizers, but yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, given that uh, most of these cases remain unresolved in terms of um, ensuring that the culpable individuals are 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 uh, placed behind bars, we therefore cannot um, uh, draw away. The, the penalties that have been put in place mm-hmm. because Kaluma here is trained to be um the agitator for those who have been convicted to the extent that if they have served their sentence they now uh, do not have to have that particular 10 year um bar from from taking up um elective position and also um the state um positions if it was a nego- negotiation i would settle for giving them at least five years out but since you but i i i find i find it a bit interesting that you chose to label the people that um kaluma is trying to help as victims while in the court of public opinion sorry the uh, the villains i i, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, you meant villains yeah. uh, in, okay so but in the court of public opinion these people have 
have made away with a substantial amount of money for instance mm-hmm. let's talk about, let's say it was uh, a multi-million scandal they've made away with that amount of money no one knows where it went so you're saying they'll serve a certain number of years maybe they'll get a pardon you never know and then they now come and tell us elect me in my view the reason why i had that issue with the leadership and integrity act is because i felt in we lost that battle in 2013 when uh, through the the ruling of uh, i think the court of appeal that allowed um the then president and the former and the current president to run for for the election while they were facing charges at the Hague mm-hmm. that was a big milestone and from that point everyone has been coming coming back and saying i have not yet been convicted so i have to run and then you are leaving ESCC and IBC in a in a in a fix because they are trying to ensure that anyone only the clean people make it through but i guess it will be a debate that we will have to watch or not uh, it it will be but we'll have to watch seeing whether um kaluma's uh, you know bill will actually be um passed by the national assembly and there were efforts by the former uh, majority leader Amos Kimunyo who had tried to legislate the landmark ruling that was given by high court judge Mumbi Ngugi who had said that um if somebody has been um f- if somebody is facing a charge a, a corruption related charge then he should step aside from office yeah. and i remember at the time we had former governors that is um former Nairobi governor Mike Sonko former Kiambu governor uh, Ferdinand Waititu um being um told to step aside given that they they were facing um corruption charges charges so it 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 begs to see how you know the national assembly will um react to this particular bill whether they'll support it mm-hmm. given that um they also have you know an interest in it if you look into some of the mega um corruption cases that we 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 have in the country mostly politicians are involved and it will be quite unfortunate if members of parliament can can use members of parliament can use their powers to cushion themselves in the event they find themselves you know facing corruption charges charges given that you know they are responsible in in um um what do i say protecting the 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 will of the people no, no, the, the public of, interest no the public they are, they are responsible in terms of ensuring that um the public for uh, coffers the money in the public coffers are used um responsibly right so it it really it is really a test for them to see whether they'll support this particular bill by um kaluma which which is a unique one <laughs> okay um so as we continue that conversation there is another gentleman internationally who is every day he wakes up unfortunately he con- he he either finds that he has been indicted for something he did in 2020 and this one time uh last week he found himself that he has been indicted by the state of Georgia because of something that he did in regards to trying to change the um, the election the election result in the US presidency and the one thing that the Georgian state used was a conversation that he had where he t- where he seems to have been telling um 
some of the electoral some of the county officials to to try and give him a, a, a lead in that county or to try and support whatever he has said in that county let's get an excerpt of that conversation and a lot of republicans are going to vote negative because they hate what you did to the president and if you would be respected if really respected if this thing could be straightened out before the election you have a big election coming up on tuesday and therefore i think that it really is important that you meet tomorrow and work out on these numbers and and i'm not looking to blame anybody i'm not blame i'm just saying that under new counts and under new uh, uh views of of the election results we won the election as the georgia politicians say there is no way you lost Georgia. Nobody, everyone knows I won it by hundreds of thousands of votes. The one thing I got to give to uh, former President Trump is he's very convincing to himself. Like he believes his own argument and doesn't want to let anything go. The the first question that keeps coming up is Irene, mm-hmm. will Donald Trump is Donald Trump eligible to vie for the 2024 election? I was really surprised given that, you know, um, United States is one of the mature democracies we have um, in the world to mm-hmm. see that um, they, their constitution does not bar those convicted of a crime um, mm-hmm. from, for, for, from running for president, okay, in this case. Yeah. And um, even though in their constitution there could be pathways to uh, blocking him, um, they are saying that in the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, um, it said that someone cannot hold office if they have taken an oath to the United States, as Trump did, given that he had served he had served for um, the first term mm-hmm. as as U.S. president. He yes. had taken oath to protect the the U.S. Constitution, but went ahead due to um, um, his own personal interest to try and interfere with the election results in Georgia. So, given that they are saying before he is convicted, he can still campaign, he can still uh, vie for any political office, mm-hmm. it <coughs> begs the question in terms of it being a mature democracy, how then can it allow somebody who has, um, you know, um, allegations of even interfering with an election uh, for personal interest to have the leeway um, to, to vie for... Um, an elective post. And in this particular um, interest he has in the 2024 general election, he's seeking to unseat Biden. Mm-hmm. And being in the topmost um, political office, he can interfere with um, um, the, the, investigation. The, the investigation, even the outcome of that um, um, ongoing case. If at all he sees that the outcome might interfere with his, uh, you know, stay as the president of the one of the most powerful um, nations in the world. Mm. So I found it interesting to see that a mature democracy like that can allow uh, somebody who has, you know, a litany of cases to seek elective office. You know, the funny thing is, on both sides of the divide, the Republican and the Democrats, there is this growing concern that the more he has, the more these indictments are coming up, the more it is making him popular. In the To the extent that he actually said, uh, former President Trump said he will not be participating in the forthcoming debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and tomorrow he on Thursday, sorry, he is expected to go to present himself 
to a Georgian um, equivalent of a, of a, of a, of a police station where he's supposed to be taken uh, fingerprints, mug shots and stuff like that. I mean, what does this do you feel like it's kind of um, I feel it's a mockery. Yeah, it's a mockery of the whole process yeah, and the 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 system in quotes l- looks helpless. It doesn't know how to react to this. And given that the repercussions of if um he is found guilty mm-hmm. will be the reason why I'm saying it's a mockery it's a mockery to um the judicial um territory mm-hmm. so to speak because he him being the president might interfere with the outcome of that particular um election uh, that particular um investigation and also the outcome of you know that the bench that will make um that particular decision mm-hmm. and therefore there's a question that I, I know even in the country we say that no one is above the law mm-hmm. but when he you were told he'll win the 2024 um, um elections and there is the aspect that he's immune once you know he becomes the president therefore it cannot he cannot be prosecuted mm-hmm. uh given that he's a sitting president it's now unclear how then the prosecution will move about with that particular case because when they started the case he was out of office when they are almost concluding the case um maybe given the will of the electorate sometimes you know they they make decisions that you will question mm-hmm. but by the time they're concluding the case he might be um the sitting president of the United States then how then will the prosecution move with that particular case given that he's a sitting president and therefore he might be immune to um being um charged um with the you know with the case leveled against him it will be quite interesting and also uh, seeing that there are appeal mechanisms even if um um the the georgia court decides to um say that he's guilty he might decide to move all the way to the supreme court which yeah. will buy him more time to campaign by the time we are having the elections in 2024 the case might not be even concluded if at all the sympathy um wave will work to his benefit he might be a sitting president with you know an ongoing case it reminds me of a clip dev chapel the comedian um once uh, put out again um on the way trump used to campaign and he said he he watched one of his uh, debates and he realized trump is a very smart man because he knew that the system would never change the way it works just for one person and the other reason was because the the people who are beneficiaries of those rules are also kind of like funding the the democrats or the republicans so there was no way they were going to touch the status quo but it is a conversation that um we will be watching and we will be looking at and <laughs> the next conversation is where um our friend blaze has been warming up and waiting for it to come through <laughs> it is <laughs> the one conversation mm-hmm. the one conversation about the what do you call them the saudi arabia yeah uh saudi arabia and what they're doing to to football and sports as we know it but before we have that conversation let's listen to this gentleman we've just opened a new channel for players that didn't exist and why why can it not be in the middle east why can it not be in saudi arabia why does it have to be exclusively in europe so we are challenging the status quo in their opinion what we're doing 
we're doing something for Saudi Arabia. We're doing something for the local people. And that's something that everybody else has got to get comfortable with. I mean, because the, we are very comfortable with it. That gentleman is Saudi, Saudi, Saudi Pro League Chief Operating Officer Carlo Nora. I hope I, fun, I pronounced <laughs> it correctly. <laughs> and he is giving us and everyone who cares about football the one message. Yeah. Get used to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'd, I'd hate to be the person who defends the big corporations that are the in the European leagues because they okay, I have a thing against big corporations, but that's a personal thing. But uh as as a fan of the European leagues, I don't think so many people should be scared going by and I might eat my words later, mm. but going by how Saudi have gone about it, and we were talking with Shaz yesterday on Football Sunday, they have, it's more or less splashing money in the hopes that it will come through for them. But the thing is, it doesn't feel like there's a strategic plan to help the league grow as a whole. It's just a number of clubs spending heavily to bring in superstars, quote-unquote superstars, mm-hmm. to their league. And up until this moment, I don't think, pers- personally, I haven't been compelled to watch the Saudi League. Purely because they've got Firmino, they've got Ronaldo, they've got Sadio. They've got two of my favorite attackers, and I still wouldn't be, be compelled to watch the league. Okay, so I don't let me let me try and sway you towards um, Carlo's um, argument yeah. by giving you who Carlo is. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, Carlo is a fifty-year, fifty-five-year-old uh, native of Lebanon. Uh, before before he took up the job at uh, Saudi, he was the director of competitions at the Asian Football Cup. Uh, confederation but something that struck me mm-hmm. was that he was also in 2020 appointed as the vice president general manager of asia pacific wwe mm-hmm. now if you know what wwe is you know you're about to eat your words again uh-huh. yeah in the sense that if you're saying you have not yet been compelled to watch the saudi league yeah. chances are if this gentleman uh, managed to turn around the perception that WWE, an American product, mm-hmm. is being introduced in 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 Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. and got uh, got traction, yeah, yeah, chances are, even with football. And by the way, in this interview with CNN, yeah. he actually said they have a five year a five year plan, a ten year plan, mm-hmm. and a fifteen year plan. So at some point, they will stop and keep looking. What are we doing right and yeah. what are we doing wrong? And he gave the example of MLS, um, which, is, which I don't think it's a really good, idea, a good example, example in the yeah. sense that it has not picked up in the way that they thought it would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I, I genuinely didn't know about that 5, 10-year, 15-year plan. Mm-hmm. But still, there's that one thing that the European leagues still have over over Saudi Arabia and that's they've been there long enough mm-hmm. and they've already established themselves as the route for like quote unquote the top level football you see mm-hmm. so Saudi Arabia as much as yes they might have a plan dethroning Premier League and uh, the Spanish La Liga and every other league in Europe it's going to be the hardest thing they're going to do because as I mentioned it to you last week what the uh, 
I'll, the best example I'll give is the Premier League. What Premier League had to had to do was first of all draw their attention um to the league in general. Mm-hmm. So that's whatever money it was that uh, Sky Sports and the broadcaster was bringing in uh for for the new look Premier League was spread out for the whole uh for the entire league compared to Saudi where it's just a number of like six seven clubs that are signing these um these sending these uh, making these mega signings so again it's it's a long clearly it's a long term thing for them mm-hmm. and uh we won't see the products or the fruits of their me but up it's not only that. in football mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah that's the it's thing. not only in mm-hmm. football they are looking at cricket yeah they have already done it in, in golf, golf yeah. and at some point they almost split the 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 golf uh, fraternity mm-hmm. into two yeah and then at some point they came back together to where some of the big players were saying they were shocked yeah. that the PGA and the Live LIV, yeah. yes mm-hmm. ended up merging mm-hmm. and some felt that they were betrayed because they were not involved in the talks and also now they are saying they are also looking into the esports yeah i mean it's not just an issue of money mm-hmm. is it it's also another it the other issue is the issue of they know where they know who who they want to target yeah. so unlike the english premiership or the european league they're just arguing on you're spending too much you're throwing money at a problem mm-hmm. carlo is saying we have seen something else yeah. not ju- we are not just throwing money for no we are not just buying benzema yeah. uh, cr7 or whoever mm-hmm. for, for for lack sure. of yeah. yeah okay but for me i think it remains to be seen and what they're doing as much as we want to we want to sugarcoat it and everything it's a classic case of sport washing laban let's be serious if you really look you know, at it it's it's to sanitize whatever reputation that uh, uh saudi arabia has had for years if if we really look at it uh, blaze <laughs> if we were not uh, if we're not running out of time yeah. We would have continued this conversation, <laughs> but we would like to say thank you very much for for being uh, for being part of the part of the audience in this show. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Join us next week. Good night. <laughs>